Welcome to They That Hope with Father Dave and Bob, seeing humor and hope in a crazy world. And I'm Bob. And I'm Father Dave. Welcome, everybody. It's great to have you on the show. It's great to be back in Steubenville. Yes, it's good to see you. Well, it it is good to see you. Um, People who don't watch this podcast are missing out. Missing out tremendously. Today's outfit. What have you done, Bob? This is one of my favorite superheroes, right. Doctor Strange. Okay, so for those who are listening, explain to what you're what you're wearing. Well, I am wearing authentic licensed prop replicas from Doctor Strange. Uh-huh. Uh, the most significant piece is my Eye of Yagamoto. That has the time stone in it, yeah. and I can actually shift time with it. Also, these pins are replicas too. Okay. They're very nice. And that's a cape, a red cape, and you can like fly? Um, I don't like your attitude, first of all. Okay. You don't okay. need to talk down to me. <laughs> Believe me, I'm not talking down. I mean, <laughs> good, how could you talk down to this? I know. That's what I'm saying, right? I just got it in the mail. I actually ordered this for like a Christmas present for myself and it just came. You're kidding. Oh, probably because there's such a huge demand yes, for this stuff. Yes, it is. Yeah. I, did I mention authentically licensed yes, prop replica? Yes, you mentioned it. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. So he sent me a text. Bob sent me a text message last night. Um, with with this image, and again, it's this gold medallion type thing with a light green light in the middle, which is the stone of a badubadub. And um, <laughs> so I, I can't even remember what I said. I said it's like I I just said like I'm so happy for you. Bob. You were you shared yeah. in my joy. Yeah, I did, and it was a beautiful thing. I did. So when I walked in <laughs> into the podcast studio this morning, I just saw Bob's back, and it's this huge red cape thing. Um, and he goes, you get to wear costumes, why can't that's I? That's right, that's right. I mean, it fair, like he's always wearing medieval garb. I get to wear Doctor Strange today. All right. And we'll see what other outfits come. Do you wear Th- that these, out? are, these are the gifts for the viewers that uh, get to watch the Do video. Do you wear that out in public? I will today. We have uh, our Bosco conference starts today. You're not going to wear that, <laughs> are you? No, they okay. would kill. I just would love to see Petrock's face. He would just... Uh, that, that might be worth when, it. When um, the first conference I did with Petrock Willie, he's a faculty member here from Wales. And um, when I was playing music, we played... What did we play when he came on stage? Careless Whisper. Because, <laughs> oh, you know, we have Andre on the sax, so it's... He just walked in the middle of the stage, he folded his hands, and he just stared at me until we finished the song. And he just went... Not a word. Thank you, Bob. Welcome to the car. You know, I just yeah, didn't yeah, yeah. even respond to it. Just like, just like I have to work with this guy all the time. All the time. Yeah. 24-7. Yeah. But it's great. We have a fun family. And it's really exciting to uh, have the Bosco Conference yeah, this week. Yeah, that's great. Catechists and religious educators. A little smaller, like all conferences are, but actually not as not as hit as some of the other conferences. Okay. So What do you have? I think we have about 250, okay, so good. we normally have in the 300s. That's, so oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. It, it's not, and a lot of our focus has been um, ministry after COVID. It's been some really great yeah. stuff. I know Wednesday night, which would be tonight, if you're listening on the day it's released, uh, is a live stream. Uh, Sister Mary Michael Fox is speaking oh, cool. tonight, and a lot of great stuff. I'm sure something you could check out at steubenvilleconferences.com, uh, but that's obviously on everybody's mind in ministry, you know, now that people are, well... I don't know if they're coming back to church, they're they're welcome back to church. Right, right. And I think that puts more of a onus on us to ask the question, what do we need to do to reach out and to connect and to do ministry in a post-COVID-y yeah. time, yeah. in a post-pandemic time? So it's been very exciting. 
Yeah, that, it's interesting because I think there were opportunities that COVID provided. Somebody just recently asked me, you know, what did we do at the university that was actually good? And there were actually lots of things. Mm -hmm. You know, our online programming yep. has really amped it up. We did our spontaneity, just ability to drop things and say, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to do it now. We're great. But now the church has to wrestle with, okay, what now? Right? Yeah. How, how do we engage that population? And, and my concern was always, you know, that some would leave and they wouldn't be going to Mass. And they maybe started watching it online and then that began to kind of fade away. Yeah. And, and they begin to ask, well, did they really miss anything? Mm. You know, so that's really, that's the challenge that we have as church right now is to, to welcome that person back and engage that person. One of the things that broke my heart a number of years ago, there's a group called Barna. They do um, a lot of surveys, uh, particularly with young adults. And uh, what's nice about Barna is they really reach out to non-active Christians, mm -hmm. you know, like groups like Pew Research and others, they're going to ask Catholics, but, you know, like what are non-Catholics thinking? And so they did, a, they did a survey where they asked people who said they used to go to church and now they don't, why they didn't. And one of the sad higher responses was, I'm happier now to not go to church. Mm. And that just made me think, what was your experience at church? Right, you know, right, I mean, right. You know, if it was just purely, I've got to get my butt out of bed and sit through this thing that I don't yeah, believe it's, in. It's interesting. Yeah, I, I just read read a meme. I think it was on Instagram the other day about it was just kind of a little story of a guy goes to church and his phone goes off and the priest in the middle of mass, the priest gives him a hard time, and on the way home, his wife's giving him a hard time, and it was embarrassing and all this. And then he talks about going to. Uh, a bar in the evening and he spills his drink and the gal comes over and says, that's okay. You know, we'll fix, we'll clean it up. And the bartender <laughs> yeah. said, let me give you another one. I mean, that's, that's, I'm so sorry. Don't worry about that. Things like that happen. And it's like, he, where, where did he feel more welcome? Right. Where, where was he more cared for? Where, and yeah, that's, that's our invitation is, is just that. Well, and you always hear heartbreaking stories of moms with small kids, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, getting, you know, shooed out of church. You know, that's crazy too, looks. Bob. I was one of the, one of the great blessings of being with Gomming was with several of our alumni who have families and they just shared, we, one evening we got on that very thing, the stories of how parishioners, pastors dealt with their kids, you yeah. know, when a kid was being bad and. You know, one particular priest they were saying would always get the eye. They would, he would literally stop the mass and just Ugh. look at it. And it's like, oh, my goodness. Don't do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like, do you want us to be pro-life Do not? you have some, like, most embarrassing story with your kid at mass? Oh, gosh. Well, I usually tried to sit next to other kids that I thought would be louder at Worse. mass. So, That's you good. know, like the first yeah. thing is... We're the Johnson family. Yeah. All right, we're going to go over yeah, there. Don't and sit, I just use Johnson generically, all generically, right? Generically, right. If you're out there listening, it's like, wow, he right. really knows. Don't sit by the bolsters, which is not generic. They're an amazing family and they're so disciplined. Oh, yeah, yeah, I yeah. work with Ron yeah. Bolster. He was in the uh, Navy and like their kids all sit like by height and nice. they just seem to be so holy. And then Mike is like... <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, yeah, one thing I actually, and this this might cause uh, some disagreement out there, but we, we don't mind being controversial. Sure. Particularly when my kids were little, I would try to have somebody watch them, and I would just go to Mass as much as I could with my wife. Um, and I know there's different theories on that. Um, you know, I mean, certainly by the time they're getting a little bit older and they can go to First Communion, you know, yes, obviously, that's when they're locked and loaded. But when they're younger and they're restless and they're screaming, it's not fun for my wife and I, it wasn't fun for anybody in the church. I don't think the kid was getting a lot of grace yeah. out of it. And so I think some of that was just being flexible. Like just, you know, thankfully we had family nearby or older kids that might be able to watch or, you know, things like that. 
But some of that was even just asking the question, so are we making mass? We're all screaming at each other in the Mm -hmm. car. Let's get in there. Like, what can we do just to make it a little bit better? And sometimes, you know, what's the thing? An ounce of preparation is better than a pound of cure. I have no idea. I don't know. That's a good line, though. There are two things coming to my mind. Uh, My mom used to always say, getting ready for mass should not be near occasion of sin. But, you know, (laughs) there were six kids in our family, and it's just sometimes it's just crazy. Now, again, you said that how you and Jenny did it is different than other couples. And that's that's important to remember is that there's not this, okay, everybody has to do it this way. And it caused me to remember when I was helping out in a parish outside of D.C., there was a young couple, alumni from Franciscan, and... And they did this, they, they also said, we realize that not everybody's going to do this, but it's what they talked right. about and thought about. Um, once a month, the husband would get up early and go to Mass by himself. Okay. And he said that, you know, he would just take time to be extra, time to pray and just be present. And then he would go home and watch the kids and his wife would go. Hmm. Again, some people may say, oh, that's horrible, that's awful. This was a couple who loved the Lord, who yeah. were faithful, and they prayed about this, and they just thought that this would be something. And there was something about it. They said, you know, they loved they loved their kids, right? Yeah, right, they right. They loved their kids. Right. But to be able to go to Mass, you know, without that. And, and it almost sounds awkward or bad without to say it, right? Kids. It's like, without those no, kids. But, but it's so true. I think I've, I've shared on the podcast before, one of my wife's, you know, famous lines is, is it a mortal sin to receive communion when all you're thinking about is killing your children? Yeah. You know, I mean, sometimes that's just part of it. Sometimes you need to suffer through it and you need to get through it. But then I think there's other times you can sit down together as a couple and pray and talk and say, you know, can the, can the mother-in-law watch the kids today? Mm-hmm. You know, could mm-hmm. we actually enjoy a mass together where mm-hmm. we're holding hands and praying and remembering what it was like to be worshiping the Lord? And maybe that happens another day during the week. Um, maybe that can happen at a Sunday. But I, I think, you know, sometimes I feel as a parent, you know, all eyes are on you. And then when you're in a community— you almost feel like this pressure, like I'm supposed to right, do right, this. Right, 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 right. And I would, I would just encourage any listener to be freed from the burden of I am what supposed the neighbor is doing. to do right, this right, right, or right. what it's going to look like or what will people say and and bring it before the Lord. You know, find the best way to celebrate the liturgy with your, you know, as a married couple, as a family, introducing your kids to it in a way that, right, it doesn't always just feel like a war zone because— right. Yeah, that meme is really kind of profound in the sense that I don't want my kids' experience of Mass to be constant, get out of bed, screaming, yelling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so maybe sometimes we go to the vigil Mass or we sure. talk, you know, sure. when the kids are older, particularly when they get to be teenagers, you can you can talk about it a little bit more and maybe just find ways that work for your family. I mean, I think that's really at the heart of it, you know, ways that work for your family. Yeah, but I think what you said is really important too, Bob, is that there's sometimes there's this pressure to do it like somebody else is doing it or, yeah. or what you've seen on, you know, Instagram or Facebook or whatever. And, and that's always the best view, right? <laughs> they, they don't get to see the background. So that's, yeah. Go before the Lord, be faithful to what he's asking you to do. So that's great. Amen. Hey, I have a little bit of a plug here. You do, do you? Uh, you know, we mentioned about the Bosco Camp conference we did. happening this week. Yep, we mentioned it. And um, many of them I get to know because of our Master of Arts in Catechetics and Evangelization program, which I direct dun, because, dun, dun. because I am a doctor, <laughs> Dr. Strange. Our MA in Catechetics and Evangelism. Yeah, the, I'm really right. glad this promo is happening today the when emphasis, I get to talk about Emphasis on the word strange. <laughs> Lord help us. Well, it's an online program that prepares you for catechetical work in the church, also known as enculturation. All right. What I'm doing right now, we have whole courses on. 
No, we don't. I was going to say, <laughs> I want to check that syllabi. I teach several of the courses. I do, but I wear a bow tie. As do other Franciscan theologians and catechists you know and trust. The program is asynchronous, so you can log in when convenient. Most students finish in about two years, maybe three. If you have an evangelistic heart and want to do pastoral work for the church, I invite you to look into the Master of Arts in Catechetics and Evangelization at franciscan.edu slash mace, M-A-C-E. That's franciscan.edu slash mace. Though Don Ashey thinks we should call it mace because it sounds a little bit more Italian. Yeah. Speaking of Italian. Oh, yeah, the Euro. Yeah. Did you see the whole game? Uh, no. So for listeners uh, and watchers, the uh, this weekend was the European Championship. It happens every soccer. four years. That would be it, soccer. It would be soccer. For, for those right. of you who, yeah. Yeah, and um, Italy versus England. It was a big deal for England. England actually hasn't won an international competition since the 60s. Yeah. So, and it happened to be scheduled in England this year. It would have been in, it would have been at Wembley Stadium no matter what. It's kind of like the Super Bowl. They just plan on where they're going to go. So England was playing in Wembley for the European Championship, and they lost in penalty kicks. And that's the worst way to lose. Uh, so they, they play 90 minutes. If, it, if the game is tied and it was, it was 1-1. They play another half hour. It's a real barn burner. Yeah, exactly. And then no other scores. So then they just start kicking, yeah. and they do five kicks, and then it can go extra stuff. So um, England lost on penalty kicks, and... It just your heart was broken because the last kid to go up was a 19-year-old kid. Yeah. The weight of the world on his shoulders, and he just did it low in the corner. And, and the keeper saved it, so yeah. it wasn't like he missed. Three, three earlier kicks uh, an English player missed, missed. Yeah, yeah. and I think that, that guy's got to feel even worse about it. But um, it was heartbreaking. You know, you're just, so, yeah, you're just not excited at the end. You're just like, oh, that's now, so I know sad. you like soccer. But and Italy you played follow, great, yeah, and, and they deserve to And you follow soccer win. and all that kind of thing, yeah. which I did not, and nor do I. But I did start to follow a little bit when I lived in Austria. Mm-hmm. And being back in Austria last week, so we were in Vienna when England was playing Denmark. Oh, right. right? And, I mean, every restaurant, every yeah. pub, outside, indoors, every TV in Vienna was yeah. on soccer. Yeah. I mean, it's... So you can't not get excited about it or interested in it. It was really, it was really pretty crazy. Well, and what's fun about soccer is it. On one end, you said, "Oh, it's a barn burner. It's one-one. It seems like it's just a really lame, uh, a really lame event." But it requires your total attention at all times. In fact, kind I've, of like baseball. Maybe. Well, let's talk about that in a second. That's not. So when I went to England, and I um, this was like 2007. It was one of the first times NFL was in England. So it was the Buccaneers versus the Patriots, yeah. right? And uh, obviously the Buccaneers lost badly. That was before the Patriot quarterback came and joined us and changed life as we know it. But the um, I was sitting with a bunch of English, surrounded by English fans who really had never been to an NFL game. And they didn't understand why my sister particularly kept getting up and getting drinks and getting food, which is the normal thing you do at a football game. In soccer, you sit down in your seat it's 45 minutes. Everybody is staring at everything on the pitch. During the halftime, they all get up, get food really quickly, and then they come back to their seats and they stay there. And so, because really, if you think about it, things like baseball and football, they have all these breaks. I mean, even commercial breaks. That's one of the weird things that sure. networks aren't sure what to do about soccer. They're like, when do we do our advertisements? Yeah. It's like, 
at the half, you know, and it is a constant activity. Now, it's not always constant, exciting activity, but it's just a very different style of game and style of play. And, and like anything, once you really get into it, it no, it's fun. It was, yeah, again, it, it, I couldn't help but be more interested in it, unlike um, the NBA Finals. You you should probably this is like our this is like our sports section for our podcast it today. Is. But we're actually going we have a point. So oh we not, do have a point. Well one of the points is that porn. last podcast Father Dave assigned me to root for the Milwaukee Bucks. Yep. Which I'm still not even though they crushed you last night, sucker, I'm still rooting for the Suns. Mostly because of um I like Chris Paul, but Monty Williams, the coach of the Suns. Uh, a beautiful story came out about how strong of a Christian he is and his faith. Yeah, yeah, it, it's and that's what we're actually going to just chat a little bit about how we live our faith in the public square. Because I was really struck by during the Olympic trials, you know, some people who make it and, and God bless them. I mean, your whole life is kind of focused towards that. Yeah, and they just go nuts, and it's beautiful and it's crazy. And but then uh, several of them have like this composure, and it really, I think, it really speaks. Not just composure; it's. It's what's central to their life, that they give witness to the Lord. There was one diver um, who she's, I forget, I think the 10-meter platform or something like that. But the first thing she talked about, she goes, that I, I don't dive for myself, but I dive for the Lord. And, mm. and that he's central to my life. Several of the runners, of the sprinters, gave witness to the Lord. Um, and, and, and like you you sent me this this email about the coach of the Suns, who's very, he says, that he's he speaks to his team about service. Yeah. That, that ultimately he's a servant, and I thought that was just a really powerful line. And he said, "I don't call people on; I call them up. Yeah, call them to something greater and something." I mean, it was re- really, really beautiful. But then the the part that was, I think, quite touching was his wife was killed mm-hmm. in a car accident. Somebody was driving another vehicle that he was under meth. Right, he had taken yeah. meth. Right. But th- this was just the thing that really struck me. First off, he talks about God's goodness and God's love and, and his care and his concern for him and his family in the midst of that, which anybody who's lost somebody who you love, that's that's hard. But the things that, that I thought he said that was so beautiful, he said, everybody is praying for me and my family, which is right. But let us not forget that there were two people involved in this situation, and that family needs prayer as well. And we have no ill will towards that family. So he was talking yeah. about you know, the driver of the person who killed his wife. And and the, I remember when I was thinking about this, I remember Father Michael always talked about this, Father Michael Scanlon, previous president of the university, not previous, but in the past, Yes, um, talked about this situation that happened in New York and somebody got mugged and there were visit, their visitor in New York and, and the media was talking. They said, you know, what's it like to come to New York and get mugged? And the response was, I'm just glad I'm not the mugger. Hmm. And they went into the, you know, what what must be going on in that individual's life that they would cause them to mug somebody. And and just this, you know, it's like, yes, he appreciates people's prayer for him, but let's not forget the other person. And I think I think we have a danger of doing that as, as we focus on, on the person who's suffering, which is absolutely right. But we don't forget, you know, we forget that there's two people in this situation. There's another family. And I thought that was really beautiful insight. Yeah. I mean, the faith is about justice and mercy yeah. meeting, yeah. right? I mean, that's what we see on the cross. You know, the cross was the most unjust thing that could happen. I mean, humanity kills its creator, you know, who only wants to show love. And from that flows mercy. And I think it is certainly one of the most challenging messages of the scriptures. I I don't remember who it was. Um, it was uh, 
I don't remember who it was. It was some well-known, it might've been Dr. Strange. It was some well-known atheist. But when they read through, no, no, this was a rabbi and actually Benedict talked about it in Jesus of Nazareth. When he looked through uh, the gospels and compared it to the Torah, compared it to the Talmud, all the Jewish teachings, the question was, is there anything different? And the the statement was the one major difference was love your enemies. Like Mm -hmm. that was... That's radical, and that's something that you wouldn't find in and any— to forgive. Right. And to forgive. You wouldn't find that in any kind of natural law. Like, that is a supernatural commandment, and the most challenging, really, because it, you know, it goes against uh, much of how we emotionally respond yeah. to things, intellectually yeah. respond to understanding yeah, no, of justice. So, yeah. um, in Monty, again, w- what kind of started the conversation was people who are living their faith publicly, right. you know, these athletes and whatnot. And it caused me to reflect on, on how we do that, right? Mm. If— you know, the, the reality is most people are never interviewed on national TV to give some kind of like quote or what you would say. I'm, I'm always, yeah, yep. well, what that would look like. But what does it look like for us? Like how, how does the normal family, the normal person give witness to their faith in the public square? What does that look like? And the first thing I thought about is, well, you pray at meals, you know, you're at a restaurant, <laughs> yeah. and you, which is, it should not be undersold. That yeah. there's, there's something about that. I mean, there have been a number of occasions in my own life and growing up that, we were praying as a family, we would always hold hands together and the waitress or waiter would come up and they'd have to wait until if they were kind of aware of what was going on. Right. Not slamming the food. Yeah. 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 But there's something to that of, of this demand that, that we live our faith out there. We live it. Well, and not to undercut praying at meals, you know, it was something when I was in college, um, I went to a, a college just North of Orlando. I didn't do my undergraduate here. And, um, I always made it a point to pray at meals. I was surrounded primarily by non-Christians. So it was kind of, it was a bit of a thing. You know, we'd be out at Denny's or we'd be out at some restaurant. And I, you know, it was really, you know, it's one of those things, the hardest thing to do is the first time. And I and I would say, hey guys, do you mind if we pray over the food? And they would stare at me like, what's your problem? But there was some respect there. And so one of them was like, okay, go ahead. So I decided I wouldn't do anything like, Bless us, O Lord, and these thy gifts. You know, like some really, something up. really formal. I would just Stand say. Stand up and bow your heads. Yeah, I would just say, God, thanks for this food and our friendship and for the people that prepared it. And I especially pray for people uh, that don't have food today. Amen. And they that was kind of enough that they went, amen. That, that wasn't that bad. And after a few years, it was, they wouldn't start eating food without looking at me, you know, and, yeah, and, yeah. and doing the blessing. I tried to do a lot of things uh, during my time at that school to evangelize, to start Bible studies, Nothing worked. I mean, it was just a very frustrating experience. But at the at my senior year, what I was so moved by was you know, this was back when you bought yearbooks and signed them. I don't know if people do that anymore. That's a good question. Numerous people said every time I went to a meal with you, how moved they were, how they saw my faith in action. There was a few of them that said that's the first time I ever prayed hmm. or ha- had prayed since a child. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. that simple. I mean, it wasn't simple in the sense it was actually. For me, it was really, courageous. It was yeah, hard to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah. like here I am, surrounded by atheists or pagans, whatever you know, pantheists, and I'm saying, let's just thank God for what we're doing. But I was stunned at how much you know. I tried to do a lot of big things, and they fell flat. Yeah, it was the little things that really moved hearts. No, I think that's really really key. Is is that we we engage the people? We're going to actually talk about this in just a minute, but engage the people that we're with that are surrounded by. And how do we how do we share our faith? How do we live our faith in the public square? How is it recognized that that if you were to take 
one individual's life who doesn't believe in the Lord and one person who does believe in the Lord, how is their life different yeah. outside, right? right. What's seen? And that's something that's a challenge that we have is that our life needs to look different. There has to be something about us that's different. And and that's it's gonna be different for everyone. For you it right. was it was, you know, the situation with praying with males, but other people it could be something else, you know. I, I think it's just don't be afraid to do little things with great love mm-hmm. and don't be afraid to do public things. I, mm-hmm. I think that sometimes the, the pressure of our society is, uh, it, it wants us to keep our faith in the church. Right. And we are called to, to bring that to the world in, you know, I mean, maybe a simple question is, do the people who work with you know you love being Catholic? I mean, that's, and, and I mean, notice how I said that, like, do they know that you love and are excited about your faith? It's not about, are you you know, pushing faith on them or judging them, you know, some of the other stereotypes, which I don't think people of faith would actually usually do. That's more yeah, what yeah. a stereotype is. But are people aware how much your faith means to you? I, I think if we're genuine about our faith, that just naturally comes out without yeah. having to... Yeah, I, a friend of mine was talking and he was sharing, this was years ago, he was sharing in his office, he just kind of mentioned that he went to Mass. And this person that he'd worked with for seven or eight years said to him, you're Catholic? And and that really struck me. It's like, what does it mean that he's been with this person almost, you know, five days a week for seven years and she didn't know he was Catholic? Yeah. And there's something, I mean, we can just mention in casual conversation when I went to church or my wife and I were praying or, or something like that. Or when somebody in the office is sick or their family's sick to, yeah, to I'll just pray take, for you. Well, and not only that, but to pray, to get a name. So it's, it's yeah. what, you know, I'll pray for it. But what's their name? Make, being really intentional about that. That has a big impact on people. Yeah. yeah. So. Something a friend of mine did, and I, I did this at times at restaurants, but when I was hanging out with some... Um, Threw holy water on their food? <laughs> well, actually, he was a, he was a Young Life. Uh, he, wor- he worked in Young Life. Oh, so and no holy water. At the end of the meal, he always would ask the waiter or waitress, is there anything I can pray for you for? That's cool. And I started to do that too because you you think they're going to be like, oh, no. It was always, oh, wow, thanks. Um, yeah, my mom is sick. And he would do, what's your mom's name? Uh, sure. And then he would take out a thing and he'd write it down. She says, I'm going to be praying for your mom. It reminds me of a funny story. The, beautiful. Fir- the first time I took Uber, I was actually, I, I was moving a bunch of furniture and stuff. So I wasn't dressed as a priest. So I was in, actually, I was in jeans and a t shirt and really sweaty and all that. And uh, so I ended up just talking to the guy with the Uber and just kind of sharing with him. And he, he just mentioned that he'd had a bad day. So I asked him about it. And as it turns out, he and his mother were kind of estranged and this and the other problem with the girlfriend and all that. So when we got to the where I was going, the friary, uh, I said, well, do you mind if we pray? And he's like, yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. So just spent literally 30 seconds and prayed yeah. for him. And, and then I mentioned it was my... Uh, first Uber ride, and he goes, just so you know, not all Uber rides are like this. It's like, oh, okay, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. But it's pretty simple. There's so many opportunities if we just are open to the Spirit to be able to share our faith, and many of them aren't super dramatic. It's really just as simple as throwing it out there, starting a conversation, offering to pray. And praying for an ear that can hear. You know, sometimes people say something, we just kind of dismiss it, but they're really, there's something behind that. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Amen. All right, we got some emails? Oh, well, we got one from Caitlin Callahan. All right. And uh, who I remember fondly. You know, she and was as, a student here. She was a student. She okay. was a student of mine. Okay. And for some reason, I feel like 
I owe her a phone call. But Caitlin, if I do, I'm really sorry. Anyway, she sent me an email. Did you um, send those books to that person yet? I did. Yes, okay, I good. did. All right. I did. Uh, and uh, thank you for reminding me of that. No, uh, Caitlin says that she loves cribbage. You see that? She says her family and I have always played, but during quarantine, we played tournaments every other day and I miss it. Uh, I visit the university somewhat often because okay. she has friends who work here. Okay. She's officially challenging you to a Ooh. game next time she's in town. And then she says, maybe Bob can even play with us, but I'm sure we'd skunk him. And she put skunk in <laughs> no question doubt. marks. We'd probably double skunk you. <laughs> Is that like a thing? <laughs> yeah. If you beat somebody by a certain number of points, I think it's 30 points. Thirty okay. points. I think. It's called a skunk. It's called a skunk. And sixty is a double skunk. Oh. And we would double skunk you. <laughs> I triple I can't dog wait. dare you. I can't wait to skunk you. That's right. Yeah, I'd love to play. Not with so. my eye of Yagamoto. I would just return. Yeah, 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 yeah. Turn time back. Turn time. If I could turn back time. Yeah. No, I'd love to play. I'd love to play cribbage with her. That'd be great. Okay. So you have it officially documented, Caitlin. He will play cribbage with you. And uh, I should probably put a cribbage board in my office. Oh. Maybe. Are those just a little like they're like that big with like the holes in them? Well, yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> I mean, they come in all different kinds of shapes and sizes, but yeah. They remind me of the uh, scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark where he's like doing the sand and he sticks the thing in it. And uh, let's just go to the next let's email. Go. Yeah. Okay. This was actually really kind of cool too. I got this. It's actually a, a DM on the inter, um, Instagram. So uh, let's see, Father Dave, I just listened to the Cheese Packers episode of the podcast mm -hmm. uh, and your controversial statement about how we shouldn't be cheering over pop politicians being denied Eucharist really struck me. I've definitely been on the side that has cheered, but I have a completely different perspective now. What you all had to say reminded me of the, of the it's a song, it says, break my heart for what breaks yours mm -hmm. and how we should always view others through God's eyes. And yeah, I just wanted to say thanks for the controversial things because You've always pushed me to see different sides of things. And I know it's always pains me to not be able to receive Eucharist if I'm in a state of sin and how much more so it must pain the Lord to be separated from his children. So oh, I was sure. just really first off touched by that. And and the we talked last week about metanoia. I mean, that's an example of metanoia is, is just our hearts are continually being open to the Lord and, and what the Lord is saying and what the Lord is doing and, and causing us every now and then to take a different look at that. Right. You know, so again, that's that was a that that continues to be. And we'll probably talk about this again. Continues to be a big issue about how and who should receive communion and how we go about that. But celebrating when somebody's denied communion—that's yeah. you know again that just I, that, as she stated. I don't think we stated that. That breaks the Lord's heart too. Yeah. You know that that his people are not close. Now sometimes that's a decision that has to be made. Yeah. So I'm not saying that. Right. But Sometimes it's not, every, every parent has to do the best things for yeah, their yeah, kids yeah, but, and it breaks their heart. But, but it's not to be celebrated. But it's not to be right, celebrated. Right. Thank you for that email. And yeah, most importantly, thank you for an open heart listening. And, yeah, yeah, And yeah. all the listeners, you know, we from time to time get really, you know, sometimes they're a little bit too private to share. Um, but we're always really grateful to hear how the Lord is using this podcast. Yeah, somebody to said draw to me, closer. they thought our, last, awesome. our podcast last week was the best one we've done. The Really? Yeah. Praise God. Yeah, that's what I said. It's like, <laughs> that's awesome. What, remind me what we said. What I remember of last week was spending an hour trying to get oh, the uh, recording awful. internet yeah, See, working. it was worth it. Was, it. it was worth it. It was worth it. Yeah. Setting up that uh, ironing board and, and precariously placing my computer in the right angle. Yeah. It all it all bears fruit in that's the end. That's awesome. That's awesome. Speaking of bearing fruit, in the end, uh, the lives of saints, we've got we two got, great saints yeah, this week. Today, today is St. Kateri. And I love St. Kateri. Yeah, so yeah. many people do. What a beautiful, 
Uh, what a beautiful saint. You know, I'm, I'm doing some work with the, uh, the youth and young adult ministry with the bishops, and one of the conversations is about proposing St. Kateri as a model for youth and young adults in, in the United States. She has so many, um, so many elements to her that I think speak to so many people. First of all, she's indigenous. You know, she's, uh, you know, truly from this country, from right. this land. Um, she heard the gospel uh, from missionaries. And I think all of us in youth and young adult ministry are really called to be missionaries to another culture. But somebody to, entered to, into her somebody world, entered into her into culture. Suffered in order to do that. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, many of them were killed, martyred, tortured, you know, mm-hmm. but they thought it was worth it. You know, they, they thought it was worth it. And we need that missionary heart of people willing to die, in a sense, to bring the gospel to, to young people, even if they're from a completely different culture of, mm-hmm. of their own. Um, she suffered for her faith. I mean, she really is such a wonderful model for young people because, I mean, you talk about going against the culture that she lived in. Right, I right, mean, right. she really uh, struggled but believed. And, yeah, just that life of holiness, the life of purity, the life of faith, you know, just a, just a gift. I, I mean, went to her shrine a number of years ago. Uh, it's near Montreal. Okay, uh, it was really beautiful. Very simple. Very yeah. simple. But I, I think I agree. This sense of, I mean, we we don't understand. Well, actually, some converts do understand. You yeah. know, the converts that come to the faith who were raised in one particular faith, and their family really begins to disown them in some yeah. cases. So, this was her story as well. But, I, it, but the other part is that people were willing to go in to engage her and reach out to her and enter into her world and then invite her to something better. So it's a beautiful story. That's cool. Yeah, That's cool. and it's a great so example think, of okay, evangel. Cool. Well, it's a great example of evangelization in the, in and the, enculturation, missiology, and all in that. the type yep. of way. Sometimes, uh, often at least in the media, the culture shows Christianity more as colonization. Right, you know, like right, it's just right. going in and it's trying to make them something different. And uh, these missionaries really found a beautiful way of proclaiming Christ within her culture. And she's a great example of being able to live, uh, you know, live Christ in your own culture. That's great. That's great. And then tomorrow is Bonaventure. Yeah. So there's two things that that I will say, and I think, yeah. And then we'll wrap up. Yep, yep. Um, First off, Bonaventure, uh, one of the the early generals in the Mm -hmm. Franciscan community. But his big thing was— He was was a general. Yeah, he was. He was. Here comes the general. <laughs> um, yeah, he was a general. And the thing is, is that he saw the necessity of faith and reason, that academics and intellectual life apart from faith just doesn't make sense. In fact, it's it's it becomes almost destructive. So this idea of faith and reason that, that our faith, our prayer life, it's interesting. Some people have said he was a mystic who was a theologian, yeah. right? So that that was so key to him that it, it wasn't, and this was my experience, unfortunately, oftentimes in seminary. It was just this intellectual endeavor that wasn't really animated by faith. So mm-hmm. this would be one of the things that Bonaventure said is that the personal prayer life, the faith, the animation of the Spirit of God has got to be central, and it illuminates the theology that we study. How would you have liked to have been at the University of Paris where you have one class with Father Bonaventure, yeah, yeah. and then you go to the next class over, with Father Thomas Aquinas. Okay, and this is this was the other thing <laughs> I know? was going to say. Yeah. That's, is, that's interesting that you even say that because we did not plan this. Ooh. No, we did not. Holy Spirit. Well, the, and this is, a, this is what's important is that 
Aquinas and Bonaventure would have disagreed on many theological issues, yeah. like significant theological issues, and both are doctors of the church. Mm-hmm. That we live in a world that says you have to believe this or you have to believe that. And and there are some things, obviously, that, that, that are defined. But, right. but there are others that, that there are different ways of looking at it, and both are orthodox. Both right. are good. Both are right. You know, And that's the thing I love about this is that Bonaventure and Aquinas would disagree on some, 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 some substantive issues. Yeah. Yeah. Both doctors of the church, yeah. both in good standing. And and both loved each other, had a great friendship, yeah. uh, you know, had a great brotherhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, one of my favorite things about uh, Bonaventure, maybe we can just close with this, in his theology, I won't do the Latin phrase because I'm not very good at Latin, but he was, uh, one of his major themes was the idea that the the work of Christ isn't deficient, but it moves forward. And for him he was reflecting on the life of St. Francis. There was an attitude in the early church, which is totally understandable, at least by the time he got to the Middle Ages, that all the holy people happened in the first few centuries of the church, right? You know, the great saints were, of course, Peter and Paul and the apostles and Augustine. And, you know, it, it was almost the sense of like there was a there was a type of spiritual entropy that happened. You know, like the closer you are to Jesus, right, the right. more holiness you are. But now we're a thousand years away. And now we're eleven hundred yeah, years. We're, we're twelve hundred. Everything's years. watered down. And yeah. it, you'll never be able to get back to what it once was. And we just kind of have to deal with the scraps that fall off the table at this point. And then you get Saint Francis. Yep. And Saint Francis is known as an icon of Christ. Saint Francis really being seen as one of the the greatest saints of all time. How does that happen a thousand years later was something that Bonaventure really wrestled with. He mm-hmm. just and, and he realized, he said, you know what? We've only just begun. Like, we have to get out of this mentality of, well, if I had lived in the time of Christ, I'd be really holy, but now I live today, and that's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. It was this enthusiasm and excitement to say Francis was able to do it. He was able to live the gospel. And so much of what Bonaventure did is he articulated the life of Francis for for all Franciscans. Right, right, right. And that's one of the things I love is that in Bonaventure, you have one of the keen intellects of the Middle Ages and a Franciscan. And there's some people who who kind of look at the Franciscans and they pat them on the head and they say they're really sweet, they're really nice, they loved animals. You mean well. Yeah, 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 Yeah. exactly. And then you've got a Bonaventure who just blows that out of the water. And and again, why that was key was that he was animated by the Spirit of Christ, but it was the way that Francis lived the gospel that uh, that Bonaventure was going to say. I was going to do the same thing. Amen. Amen. Yeah, well, one, since it's a Franciscan feast. Amen. Heavenly Father, uh, you are our light and you are our hope and you are our grace. Jesus, I ask your blessing upon all those who are listening today. Uh, speak to their heart. Um, minister to their deepest need today, their deepest fear, their deepest anxiety, that you bring freedom in that. And Lord, show them ways that they can engage people in the world that they live in and bring the light of the gospel to them. We pray for the intercession of St. Kateri, Tikawitha, and St. Bonaventure, that they would intercede for us. And may the Lord bless us, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. God bless you, Bob. Thank you. God bless you, Father Dave. And God bless all of you listening uh, to this podcast. We are so grateful to hear your stories and uh, pray for you. You can send us an email at hope at franciscan.edu. That's hope at franciscan.edu. God bless. Yeah.